You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Benigo's Positive Choice, and it is Q&A with Samuel Chisichetti <laughs> from <laughs> Reasonable Christianity and Alita Robinson, and we've still got Peter Stanton. We've got our legendary the, Peter working, Stanton. Yes, <laughs> sitting in, in the studio, so it's good to be here. It is. Uh, Samuel, you asked me to do a summary of last week. I oh. did indeed. Yes, and uh, I have to say to you that... Um, by the time I got to the sec- second page, <laughs> two pages, <laughs> I thought, no, that's not a summary anymore. Um, there was so much in what you presented last week. Yes. Um, and we, our topic at the moment uh, for this weekend, I don't know if we'll even finish it, is uh, sexuality. Yes. And uh, because it's such a hot topic and, you know, we're living in a, in a society now, a culture now that uh, sexual identity has become the most important thing to a, a lot of people and yes. even our laws are being changed to reflect that. Yes. Um, we started to look at what you, you just started to explain quite broadly what sexuality was. You talked about sensuality, intimacy, reproduction, those sorts of things. That's, so the, that's the way the culture, the, the, defines, the culture defines it. Yeah. The concept of sexuality, yeah. yes. And then you, uh, you said that the church had erred uh, quite, quite badly in uh, yeah. just portraying one part of sexuality, focusing on reproduction and also on, um, on, on the sins that can be associated with misusing your sexuality. Yeah, so the and church, so, yeah. Yeah, so the, the society's got a very um, a view that Christians think sexuality or sex is bad mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm, we have mm-hmm. this very, a, a very black view of it, if you like. Yes. Um, yes. And then you started unravelling uh, the lovely passages in the Bible uh, <laughs> that talk about the intimacy yes. and, and worship and yes. the oneness of um, the Trinity, of the Godhead, mm. the oneness of how marriage um, is reflective in in, um, in that union mm. of God and mm. the worship of God, yeah. uh, the sacredness of that it's holy and sacred. Sexuality mm. is holy and sacred, mm. um, and it, it reflects that oneness with God. So yeah. you've got the unity, the worship of God, and the pleasure mm. of the bond between husband and wife, and yeah. and also between in our relationship as we worship God, yeah. that that sort of thing. Mm. So. And I think uh, sort of at the end of the day, we understand that uh, that the current cultural idea around sexuality is very me-focused. It's all about my experience, mm, mm, about mm, my pleasure, mm, about mm, me, mm, me, me. Mm. Um, and we've become a very self-centred society. And so that, that oneness, that unity that happens when you give one to another, when you bond together as, as a couple, mm. um, when you... When you have a relationship with God, uh, those sorts of things are not self-centered because they're about the other person, mm. and they're very much um, I'm in the background. That that person become comes forward, mm. um, and so we've got this imbalance, haven't we, between the Christian view, really, of what sexuality is mm. and, and and what that means in both the biological as well as the the physical and feelings, yeah. and and how the world has just said it's all about me and how much pleasure I can get out of yep. whatever is happening. Mm-hmm. So the, thank you very much, therefore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if that was good enough. It's a, anyway. No, it's a good thing, though. It's a good thing because as we sit down and, you know, we've got these questions uh, asked by, you know, you know, you know, our listeners and people generally in, in a culture who care about these matters. And um, 
And so we go, you know, one topic at a time. And sometimes I'm thinking, well, I'm gonna get, we got to get a week where we, we don't have a controversial ones. But most questions, I start with that a bit of controversy there. But you've done a very, you know, very good job there in, in, in terms of summarizing the things that we talked about last week. And I wanted to, um, in that sense, if our listeners and those who are watching online, if you want, they wanted to jot things down, I wanted to sort of pick up a piece of paper and write church view of sexuality on one side and write cultural view of sexuality on the other. I just want to give you some terminologies that I did use so that you're basically writing down because I'm going to do, uh, uh, you know, comparison. I'm going to do a bit of, you know, comparing the two views. Okay, the church views and the cultural views, and I'm going to do a, by way of assessment. I'm going to assess the church view and the cultural view, and so that we can see which view, uh, you know, orders our world and puts our world together better, and which view does not. So, by, by the church view, I mean the biblical view. So, you don't want to say, "Well, church? What does it mean? Which church? Which denomination?" No, no. I'm saying, by the way, your biblical view. That the biblical worldview will put things together a lot more, avoid a lot of pitfalls, and order our way uh, in such a way that we'll have a lot more well-organized society in that sense. Okay. Now, just I'm reminded of a scripture in in a proverb. I think it's 16. Uh, you know, I think it's verse five. If I, if my memory is good, uh, which goes, there's a way that seems good to a man, but its end is destruction. Yes. So there are things that could be really nice and good and looking good in our culture, but they might they might end have a negative end. So how do we know? We just have to assess it. And so that's what I want to do. But let, as, as you've got your piece of paper, let me then write, you know help you uh, write these terminologies down. Yeah, so just so that the, our listeners, because not everybody can listen to the whole program, I'm quite aware. Um, if you want to go to Samuel's Facebook page, all of these things are on his Facebook page. Mm. Um, and it's uh, public, so you can go in and listen to last week's and every other week beforehand. Yeah. But you can also, if you haven't got your pen and paper, uh, then you can listen to it during the week and uh, and write it down and have a good think about it. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. We've got, you know, all the, since we did start doing the program here and live on Facebook, it's been a year. So there's every week you'll have about 50 to 60 sort of programs on that on that page. Mm. Uh, just type my full name in and, uh, and you'll be able to find it's a public page. There is nothing uh, to, to hide there. <laughs> So <laughs> let's let's then start. Uh, so if you write, let's say, biblical view on the side, and the cultural view on the other side. Let me start with the things that I said about sexuality in, in the way our culture defines it. The sexuality is primarily a, a, a question of sensuality. It is a question of sensuality. It's a you know pleasure. It's pleasure based. Uh, it is satisfaction, pleasure. Based and so that's what determines the the the, the all aim the all purpose the all drive of our cultural sexuality is a sensuality you know how it feels and you know how, how we 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 enjoy it emotionally or even even a physical you know touch feeling the second thing it invokes is intimacy the fact that you can let someone come into your private intimate space. And then you can basically engage for this sheer uh, point of seeking the pleasure. So you're seeking the pleasure and you involve in intimacy. In other words, you hear, uh, you know, terminology like you're being 
you know, uh, um, you're being um, vulnerable when you engage with someone sexually, it is the opening up to that vulnerability toward the other person. And so that's the second term. So you go sensuality first, intimacy, and then the third one is identity, sexual identity. So, you know, whatever gives you the most pleasure, with whomever it gives you the most pleasure, then becomes what defines you. Let's say, for example, if you're a male biologically, and you engage with a female biologically, but you didn't really feel the connection, the intimacy, the chemistry, it just didn't work. And so then one day you try it with another male instead of a female biologically, and that, that's what works. Then you, you, you define yourself as, per my sexuality, I am, then you can add whatever comes from there. So I'm, you know, same sex attracted or I'm gay. And so there you go. So I, sexual identity then comes in. So that's the third term. And then the fourth term, which is the last, is of course, we still know that, you know, sexuality leads to reproduction, but that is now in our culture a subsidiary. It's really no longer uh, what the purpose of sexuality is. Why? Because, you know, you can, uh, you don't have to have a, you know, sexual intimacy with someone to have a child. You, could, you can have a child by, you know, using, you know, a horse. You can use, you know, surrogacy. For example, if you are two male that enjoy each other sort of sexually, you can find a female other than the person within your union and to whom you can ask without engaging them sexually and using all the modern technology and mechanism we have to have a child. There are very famous people like Elton Jones who've done that. Mm. And so you can then basically have a child without engaging in sexuality. So this is why in our culture pretty much reproduction is still there, but it is not viewed as the focus of of, uh, of uh, sexual interaction. So does that make sense? Yeah. So in that sense, there you have, that's the things that I wanted to sort of look at from a cultural point of view. Write those down because this, this will help you put some nuts and bolts on whatever is going on. Ah, okay, well, feeling good, being vulnerable and intimately engaging, you know, it's defined in your identity and then reproduction is, okay. So that's our first step. Second step, on the side of God, very quickly, biblically, uh, sexuality is, uh, you know, holy, it's sanctified, it's set apart because it represents what? The first thing it represents is it represents the worship of God, the union within the Godhead. So it represents all that is holy and sacred. Number two, the reason for sexuality biblically is companionship, oneness, a heart, if you will. You know, you hear the Shema, Shema Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, a heart. A heart means unity. So sex, sexuality biblically brings that what you call intimacy on the other side, companionship, intimacy, pleasure, and love. I didn't say in uh, in the culture bit that there is the, the idea of love under sensuality. Just, it's a subset. I'll talk about that later. And so, companionship, pleasure, and love. Then, reproduction, procreation is still the way God set things up to be. And so, identity doesn't come in from a biblical point of view. In our sexuality, doesn't define our identity. And you've written those down. Now, we will assess that after the word. We will. We're going to listen to Anthem Light singing Good, Good Father. You're a good, good father. Who you are, who you are, who you are. 
That was beautiful. Okay, Samuel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, that was just beautiful. Yeah. Um, you've just opened up with uh, on our topic of sexuality, but yeah. week two, and you've given us a bit of a quick breakdown of the cultural view and the biblical view, yeah. and now you're going to take each of those views to yes. their logical conclusion. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Uh, I want to sort of uh, help our, our listeners, you know, um, I think that Christians must do their best to be the best thinkers. Uh, C.S. Lewis used to say Christianity is a thinking man religion. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, many, you know, it's, it's, what do I want to say? I want to say it's, it's possible to hold onto your theological view without having thought through about it. Many theologians are not good philosophers, and it's actually unfortunate. So, because philosophy is the hand servant, or made servant of, of theology. A theologian who is a bad philosopher will absolutely say things that he wants to enforce that don't make sense, and he won't go to the extent of trying to explain to them until they make sense for people to espouse. And culture, uh, cultures are formulated from things that make sense to people. If it doesn't make sense to people, they will not espouse it. It doesn't matter if you yell it from the rooftop if it doesn't make sense to people, you could even force them against their will. But the day they will have their freedom, they will absolutely shake the shackles of your religious you know, theology and they will just break free. 
And this is what we have actually experienced. So saying the church had erred uh, by, by emphasizing procreation and the church had erred by always every time sexuality was talked about. It wasn't sexuality that was talked about. It was sexual immorality that was talked about. Yes. Always. sermon. About, I've gone actually throughout the week. I've gone over to read as much as I could from the church standpoint. Guess what? Every time it's sexuality, it's sexual immorality that's talked about. I haven't found really well built a concept of explaining human sexuality biblically in the way it should be interacted with, enjoyed, and so on and so forth. Our Sunday schools don't teach sexuality. Let's, let alone even within the church sermons. I was actually reviewing uh, today, I was talking with my wife about this, that we do seminars where you get couples, so we haven't, I haven't done it in Bendigo, you get couples together and then you basically talk Teach biblical sexuality for married couples. And I can tell you the, just the, the tabooness of it. People just put their head down or don't want to be looking. And I've done this even when I sit with a couple, just husband and wife, the two of them. This is an activity they engage in. But when I say, okay, let's look at what does the Bible teach, how you should, you can see uh, everyone's getting uncomfortable. It's too taboo. It should not be. Mm. And that's why we've given the culture such a huge opening. And the things that the culture has been saying, Makes sensually sense, makes reasonably sense to the regular person. This is why the culture has been growing strong. I'm, I'm. This before I start with the assessment, this breaks my heart to say it, but I'm going to say it. The church is always forty years behind when it has never put the, the foot forward to formulate good, strong, solid arguments. Not just simply because the Bible says so, but why the Bible is right. Two different things. It's one thing to say the Bible says so, and it's thing to say this is why the Bible is right. Now, in the case of, let's say, abortion, it's taken 40 years for the pro-life movement to be able to now be, the, like, the, there is no argument anymore. The pro-life movement has got the argument. They're winning the argument right now. Since Roe v. Wade in America, it's taken 40 years, laws passed, we're behind. It's been when sexual revolution started, the, the church had no argument against even right now, when the um, you know, uh, change of you know, marriage act was happening, we were at the forefront of that discussion. I sat with a number of church leaders who admitted to me that, look, when this comes out, I just don't know how to deal with it. I don't know what to say. I know the Bible says this, but you know, I don't know how to bridge that gap from... Unfortunately, even when I, I suggested, well, can we then organize church leaders' sort of training session? I'm happy to present... Well, you know, don't have as, as much time. That attitude makes us basically be behind the ball. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And this is not good. Okay. So having said that, let's now look, by the way, of assessment of these two views. I'm saying that if some, somebody gives an idea, it sounds good, no problems. Take it to its logical conclusion. You know, my, my mentor, Gregory Coco, says, take the roof off. Mm. You're taking the roof off the idea so that you can see deep inside. If I followed your idea to its logical conclusion, does it lend me into destination confusion, chaos, or destination uncomfortable? <laughs> or the toilet, if you've taken the roof exactly. off. Exactly. <laughs> so if you, so we're going to take the roof off. Now, let's start. I want to take the roof off of the cultural idea. Let's, let me start there. Mm. I want to take the roof off of the cultural idea. So, uh, sexuality in our culture is defined as a matter of sense, sensuality, pleasure, because the definition is love is love. It doesn't matter who you love, 
love is love. As long as you've got the chemistry, the connection, it feels good, you have the, the your intimacy there, and then your identity will then emerge. This is why you can you don't know what you are sexually at the outset. You can try, try, try. I was reading a, 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 a website uh, as part of research throughout the week that was actually promoted by our government, Victorian government, to Victorian um, um, you know public employees. That week, it was last week. It was there was a day. I think the seventeenth of May it was International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia, and so on and so forth. So you get that the government. It's no secret. The government. You know, and all that publicity to say, you know, and, and if you needed to know more, you go to a particular website. And one website that was advertised there by our, our government, having embraced that, uh, you know, one of the activists on that site, uh, the pe- pe- person interviewed, was saying, well, look, your sexuality can change as many times throughout your lifetime. You can start, it's nice with this category, and it changed from here to there. Don't be, don't feel bad about that. It can change. So, I'm just simply saying that's the cultural idea. It's promoted by government. It's in high places. So and it's in schools. Yes, it's everywhere. exactly. Yeah. So love is love. It doesn't matter who you love. That's I'm not. I'm not being negative. I'm just simply saying what is actually in the culture. Yeah. Love is love, and your sexuality can change from here to there to everywhere. So that's not, not everywhere, but you know, depending on the stages. So embrace it. It's okay. All right. So then that defines your identity. So don't be too stuck. You know, I'm only same-sex attracted, or am I a terror, or am I bi, am I, you know, everything else that, you know, you know that. I don't understand who even came up with all the terminologies. I mean, there's so many, it makes your heart, it makes your head explode. Yeah, but because I think whenever I'm assessing a point of view, it's, and Scripture teaches this, I try my best to put myself in the philosophical shoes mm. of the person who has the idea. Why wouldn't they hold that idea given the assumption they start with? Yeah. Okay. So let's start our culture, therefore, start with sensuality. Whose sensuality is being described? The sensuality of me, of self. How I feel. Mm. My, so, in other words, how I feel is what determines the succession of the rest. So how I feel then end up even determining what my you know, sexual identity and gender identity is. If I feel like this, therefore... So my feelings are, if you will, in that sense, absolute. Not absolute as though they're fixed. They're absolute in the way they must be considered. And I say, if I say I feel this, you can't challenge that. Mm. Okay? So it is the absolutism of the self and most importantly, the feelings of the self. Okay? That's the starting point. So the starting point is not design. God designed, no, no, it's the starting point of our culture is the self. You said it in, in as a way, your, your summary. The starting point of our culture is the self, the feelings of the self. This is why our feelings are, you shouldn't hurt them, you shouldn't, so you don't hurt anybody's feeling. This is why when you, you can't say somebody's wrong, because in case when you say that, it'll hurt their feelings, and that's something sacred that you cannot do. So the self is at the top of this structure. Mm. Why the self is a top of structure? Because we have kicked God out. So let's say, okay, I, let's, let me go, go with the culture. Assuming there is no God, well, of course, who should determine what is right and what is wrong, if not me? Every person, 
must determine for themselves what is right for them and what is wrong no. for them. Mm. Somebody shouldn't be determining that, otherwise it's being judgmental. And very often ju- being judgmental, which is saying that the other person's feelings are wrong, then leads you to be bigoted or, you know, phobic of some, some way. You, if you say I'm wrong, you must hate me, you must not like me, because think, there's no God. There's, who are you to say? Mm. I'm using just a cultural terminal. Who are you to say that my feelings don't matter? So the self is at the top of this structure and what I feel and my intimacy is a matter of self. And what is actually quite interesting is the self and the relativistic side of it then goes being enshrined in our laws, which then is no longer relative anymore. Yeah, well, that's right. Okay. So if then we take that as a way, whatever I feel, let's within a couple of minutes see which destination we might end up with. So if I'm a male and I feel my feelings toward female, okay, I'm heterosexual, that's good. Well, that's, okay, works for you. If I'm male and my feelings are toward a male, you're gay. That's up to you. If you are a female and if feelings are toward if a female, you're therefore, you know, lesbian or it's attracted to females. And so, so that's you sort of, but if you are in the middle of the day, you're attracted to either outside and you buy, you're mm. sort of in between. It is whatever you feel. Okay? And nobody should judge that. Nobody should. That's our culture. That's it. Nobody should judge that. And so then you go to the numbers of interaction. So if you're female and there's a male, so you basically become a couple. We say a couple, which means two. And or what if I'm in between? Um, I like b- both sides. So you can envisage a, a, a scenario of three mm. because you must... Be as as there's a, a actually a very famous uh, historian Richard Carrier who who wrote his case for what is called polyamory, the idea that adults can negotiate their sexuality. However, who who according to this particular cultural set, who then is there to impose what should the number be? Okay, if my pursuit of my fulfillment of my feelings. And their pursuit of the form of the feelings and, and whatever negotiation we have works for three of us or four of us. Mm. Who is there to say that we shouldn't? So that's a sort of, we're starting to, to, to enter the chattering in those waters, which this has become quite popular. It's now a popular idea in our culture. Yeah. So let's, let's keep that mulling on it. And I'm coming to take more roof off. Yeah, please. <laughs> we definitely need to take more roof off. We're going to listen to MU Music and the Voice of the Lord.
You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice. We're still talking about sexuality and Samuel is about is continuing to take the roof off we are. the cultural view and yeah. where that's going to lead us yes. if we uphold that view. Yeah. And so let's continue to take the roof off. So, for example, when the change in the marriage act happened, uh, the, our, our, our law defined it, marriage is the, uh, you know, the union of any two people. Any two people uh, who love each other—that's that's that's what the change was when when that happened. So it's enshrined in our laws now. It's just simply a union between any two people. So which means you can get the you know any male, any female, any male, any male, any any female, any female. That goes now. What the, what that definition when, when we were at the forefront of that discussion, we said what that definition didn't even was not anywhere near capturing. Is it is it confining the people whose pursuit of sexual, you know, desire, pleasure, and identity was not limited to just simply being with one person uh, of a particular or, or orientation. The people who were in the middle, who were happy with male and female, and who wouldn't be actually satisfied by going only with one, now we found themselves. They still are now found themselves in limbo. Now there is a big. Uh, a big movement that is growing significantly, and here's a justification for it. The justification is that monogamous couples, monogamous couples, over the years, the, the survey done over the years, the sexual interaction of monogamous couples can start up high and it sort of decreases over time. Okay, or there's a bit lack of satisfaction. There's monotony. There is also so in monogamous couples, and so it is the reason why, at least across you, you, humankind, uh, infidelity. You know, infidelity, which is led to you know the most. If you notice the rates of divorces in 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 in, in our world. In a way, mostly have been going up because you know lack of understanding in some area, this area, that area. It's not that the Bible doesn't have a provision for it. The Bible does have provision, but in our culture, there was something that was called that was brought in. It was called no fault divorce. So mm. no fault divorce. Yeah. But look, you know, you're not compatible anymore, and, and compatibility could be you know, if, especially if it's of sexual nature. There's no question that should be asked. I mean, okay, we've been together for five years, ten years, but I'm actually attracted now, um, not now, but I've always felt that I was attracted to somebody of, a, of another sort of sex, and therefore, okay, well, we can't continue that union unless the person okay, well, I'm bi, so we can be here and there. And if we still want to stay together, what will the people who are in that middle section do 
would they not be missing out on all the benefits being looked looked at and looked upon positively, which was the pursuit of the Change in the Marriage Act. You know, people, there's this prejudice, there's this phobia. Uh, so people who are in that middle who are happy with either, who are bisexual, so they're left in a limbo where, okay, well, shouldn't we then, you know, readjust the law to make sure that they include that? Okay, well then, the second thing is, why should our law say just simply a couple? Why should our law say two? What if you had a section, I was watching actually, uh, I've watched a number of programs where you can get a variation of interaction. So, you know, two couples who are actually couples, it's a couple who come together, but they're happy to share each other's partner. Mm. Or those who are, who are happy to basically engage with each other in either sense because they're bisexual. And it's, it's love. Th- these people love each other. Who is anyone to say, well, yours is not love? Uh, just given the culture, I'm not ju- just trying this biblical. No, no. I'm taking the cultural's ideas yeah. to its logical conclusion. Mm. Love is love. Who is to say that these four people who live harmoniously, if they've been there for, I was watching a, 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 a little uh, story of a couple, they've been like that for six, seven years. Seven years. And the four of them, they've got children. Uh, and, and they're negotiating the rapport, the interaction. If I did not believe in any higher authority that sort of teaches sexual morality to humans, but it's only us, we determine based on how we feel, then tell me on which account am I wrong to say that that particular arrangement should be included. Mm. Why should they not be included? Okay? So if we espouse our cultural idea... The idea of a couple should basically dissipate. The idea that it should only be, you know, that this and that, it is as long as people can negotiate their sexual identity, they can negotiate their sexual pleasure, they can negotiate what goes for them, then the, the state shouldn't be there to say, well, yours is not. We only decide that... and. Especially because whatever the state does is because we elected the state, right? Mm. So if the cultural uh, within if, if within the culture the, the 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 ideas continue to change, and this uh, this is embraced, then there is no reason why our laws shouldn't go that way. I can make that case if I was in parliament right now, and the, the case, any politician who would disagree with me on that ground will have no ground to stand on. If I espouse a cultural idea, which is most of our politicians and most of the people in public office have espoused. Now, let's go one step further. So, I was saying multiple. You've got polyamory. Yeah. Any number of people negotiating. You've got polyandry, where you can have, you know, two females who have one, one, uh, no, no, it's actually you've got one, one female with two, three males. Um, and you can get polygamy, which is the umbrella of all these poly, so multiple. Yeah. So polygamy. And there are societies that have been polygamous for zonkeys years. That's the argument that has been formulated right now. Yeah. There's polygamous societies in Africa, uh, you know, in all sorts of societies. Polygamy used to be there in Old Testament. So the, what is the point there for our society today to say, well, no polygamy. No, nah, nah, we're just going to at least determine. And that is basically an exclusion. Mm. Then it goes to the next one. 
which is a big thing that is evolving now. Why should age matter in the interaction? Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Before you start to get cringing, let's say if a, a 30 years old young lady meet a 50 years old female who they are, you know, uh, you know, they want to, they consent and they want to engage. Should we say no? Okay, if it's one 30 years old and 34 years old lady and if a 60 years old lady and they want to engage, would we be, according to the cultural idea, be able to say no, 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 no? Why? Because we, th- we think that they're adults, they can consent, they can negotiate their relationship, it's all good. Why we say they're adults? Because we assume that if they were not adult, there'll be power imbalance. Somehow, power imbalance is a negative thing. So, okay, well, what would we say if it was an 18 years old and a 25? Uh, if it was an 18 years old and a 45? If it was an 18 years old and a 65? Okay, I was talking with a, a friend um, who was not a believer who said to me, Oh, she's actually a believer, but she's a nominal Christian. She said, well, age shouldn't really matter, should it? And so I asked her a question, okay, let, if this makes you feel uncomfortable, I am not taking a, I'm, I'm not being negative, I'm just simply taking your idea to its logical conclusion. Yeah. So I asked her a question, what's the cutoff? Mm. Do you mean to say that a 16 years old is incapable of consent? Well, incapable of consent with a 25 years old or with a 30 years old or with an 18 years old? Now, we've got this arbitrary, if you will, line, at least culturally, that no minors, that's a no goes on. But let's, let's look at it. Our cultures accepted the idea that the, those who are minors, as little as four, are capable of making life-altering decisions to what kind of feelings they have toward what gender. So, uh, it's a girl and feels like it's a boy, they are allowed and the government is passing laws, especially in Victoria, yeah, yeah. where you cannot say, no, no, look, you're too young for this kind of decision. If you dare to say that, you will be actually, you'll be committing a crime in Victoria and you will be arrested and you will be put to jail. Yeah. All right? So you have to facilitate the transition. It doesn't matter how old they are. That life-changing, altering decision, they have the capacity to do. But we think they cannot negotiate a relationship between them if they're 11 or 12 with a person who's 18 or 20 or 30. And if, if say, for example, you found out that there was nothing abusive being done in that relationship, as we assume abuse being the, the older person is abusing, if there was no such that and the child said, well, I'm looked after, I'm the, everything is okay, I'm happy with this particular arrangement, on which ground, given our culture, would we say no? Mm. Especially we've already advanced to say life-changing decisions, life-altering decisions on the basis of sexuality, sexual identity could be made by children. So right now, if you feel uncomfortable with the roof off I've taken, yeah. I'm just simply trying to say that's just the logical conclusion of your idea. And it's a it's a an absolutely amazing rabbit hole because I know that there are there are lobbyists that are trying to get pedophilia as a orientation, so a sexual orientation. Yes. So so when you take the lid off that, then you've got all the all the people that have been paid out for sexual abuse as a child. You've got all the people that are in jail because mm. of pedophilia. If you then change the if you go down yeah. that rabbit hole, and you're going to go down there because that's that's where people are going, yeah. then what does that do to all the people that have felt defiled and felt abused and felt um, 
overpowered yeah. by adults that have pressed their sexual orientation or their sexual desire onto a minor. Well, on, on that case, do you want me? To, I'm going to basically stand on the side of the culture and answer your question. In that sense, we know what abuse is and what is not. Mm. Say, for example, you can have two couples, a couple that is married, male and female, and one is abusive to the other. Our laws are capable of dealing with that. For example, if a, a man who's legitimately married to a woman, even they're the same age, but who then sort of abuses her by imposing his power or take advantage of her forcibly, mm. our laws have got provision for that. Yeah. So by passing these laws... According to our cultural ID, if you pass the laws to make sure that if there is a 12 years old, 13, 15 years old who say, well, yeah, our consent is our arrangement, it's all nice, there is not being, not being abused, and they're happy with that, you can't deny them that just under the guise, no, you're too young or you're little. The argument won't hold the waters because that very young person is capable of altering their gender at any stage. Mm. So, but if there was abuse and it is proven, our laws are capable of punishing the abuser. So I don't think that, you know, saying all oh, the people who were abused before will feel as though nothing, that won't work because our laws can deal with that. So I'm saying from a cultural point of view, there is no boundary on this as long as no. consent. Now, here is, to, to just close this particular section, my wife was teaching a church once. She made a statement that was quite interesting. She said, in our culture today, we want justice without a judge. Yeah. Okay? We want justice without a judge. We want love without boundaries. And we want purpose without a creator. I'll leave that as a thought to mull over, and then we'll be back. We're going to listen to Newsboys and all hail the power of Jesus' name. All hail the power of Jesus' name Let angels prostrate fall Bring forth the royal diadem And crown him Lord of all Bring forth the royal diadem And crown him Lord of all Each chosen seed of Israel's race He ransomed from the fall Hail him who saves you by his grace And crown him Lord of all Hail him who saves you by his grace And crown him Lord of all You are Lord of all On this terrestrial ball To him all majesty ascribe And crown him Lord of all To him all majesty 
just a scribe and crown him Lord of all and crown him Lord of all and crown him Lord of all okay we're back. We are indeed. Yeah. <laughs> and we were uh, we were down the rabbit hole of, of culture yes. and the cultural view of sexuality and where that leads to. Yes. And we will uh, finish with uh, the biblical view. Yes. And so it's, it's to close that first segment where we're there on taking the culture's roof off. I want you to notice for you, our listeners on the radio, I was saying that to our listeners online, that I have not been negative or attacking the cultural idea. I've actually been an advocate. Uh, so far, I'm, I want to put myself in the shoes of those who espouse this cultural idea and take their idea logically to its logical conclusion. So I therefore said, if self is the, 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 the top of the structure and whatever self feels and whatever self is happy with should therefore be okay. And so anything that self is happy with and self feels sexually is okay, that not only should be okay in a society, in our culture, it should be legislated so people don't look at that particular self and exclude them so that self feels excluded. Okay? From the just people of same gender to people of different gender, people who are in the middle, who are bi toward either gender, or people who are intersex, uh, or people who are, you know, Age difference doesn't make sense, doesn't make any difference. As long as self is happy, then that should. And so every time when we engage with this, taking the culture's roof off, you notice people start to sort of go, Ooh, hang on, I'm not sure. What makes sense go, I'm not sure. Because mm. you've espoused the idea that the self is at the top of the structure. So it's because we have an intuition, a conscious within us, from the biblical standpoint, that the biblical standpoint says that there is a conscience that God had written in on our heart. Why? Because if self is 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 at the top of structure, nothing would sexually be wrong apart from power grab. And then one will have to start to justify later on why is power relations bad anyway? All right. So we can go there. Why is power relations bad? They exist everywhere. When you go to your boss, you, you, when you go to your job, you, 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 your boss is, has got more power than you. Mm. I can bet the prime minister has got more power than me in this country. So then you're going to go abuse of power. But you can't say abuse of power, which is abnormal use of power, unless you know what the normal use of power is. Yeah. Then the question is, who defines the normal use of power? Society, a person, or... And so what I'm trying to say is, the question of what is right and what is wrong calls upon a moral standard. You know, you know, my, my hero, you know, the late Ravi Zacharias used to say, you cannot say right and wrong unless you assume there is a standard by which you compare it to. Yeah. All right? Yeah. And you can't have a standard unless there is a standard setter. All right? A moral lawgiver. And so you have if you have a moral lawgiver. Now you have to therefore say, well, we should do that, we shouldn't do this. So let's therefore look at the biblical standard, the biblical point of view. 
at the biblical point of view, it doesn't start with self. It starts with God. Now, if somebody objects to the idea that they're being God, that's a different kind of discussion. They have to sort of say, well, why do they think there is no God? Is there God? If there is God, you know, oh, but I don't believe in God. Well, uh, the, the question of the existence of God doesn't depend on your psychological state of belief. Yes, that's right. So I, I can't say, well, look, I don't believe in government. It, well, the question is, does God exist or not? And if you want that kind of discussion, oh, I'm happy to have it. And so let's go. The biblical point of view poses that God exists and he created all things. And because he's the maker of all things, it will be justifiable that if he made things, he sets the way they should properly be used. The government in, in Canberra sets the laws and set how that law applies. Yes. Right? There's the intent of the legislator, the spirit of the law, that's what it's called. And so when it's argued in a case, the judges have to always consider the intent of the legislator so that they don't just simply render any judgment in any which way. So if God is, because the Bible says in the beginning, God. So God makes sexuality, he sanctifies it. I talked about sanctification last, 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 last week. Yeah. So that's the way the government gives themselves the power to sanctify particular pieces of paper. It becomes a money. It symbolizes the means of exchange. So God sanctifies it. This typifies the worship of me, the reverence that is due to me. So that when you engage it, it is the reverence to me that comes to mind. Okay? So that you are honoring the worship of me as your creator. And so that becomes the principle. And so as long as it is the worship of God, the boundaries around sexuality that God set are set because God is good. It is the goodness of God that led him to create. He didn't have to create. I can guarantee you there is no particular person here on earth who feels like their life is necessary. You can imagine a world within which you didn't exist and that world will just be fine. The day when you die, the world will still keep going. Yeah. There are people who lived millennia before you who have gone, you don't even know their names. So your existence and mine are not necessary, not absolute. But God is. Mm. God is a necessary being. So, and therefore, He is worthy of worship. We worship Him because He's the necessary being, the greatest conceivable being, the all knowing, all powerful, and all good being. Mm. And so He says, Well, therefore, I've set for you the same union that is within me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I've said for you to experience that, but in a relationship between a man and woman. Mm. And when you say man and woman, eh, it actually means the biological man, biological woman, because gender and biology always go together. Mm. I am extremely sort of, um, you know, amazed by the sort of Western theorization of of gender, it's quite extraordinary because uh, as a missionary in the West, I, I find it fascinating. Mm. The entire world is not made of the Western countries. No. <laughs> if anything, the Western countries are only 20 to 25% po of the population. Mm. But when you're in the West, you feel, they, they make you feel, uh, all the Western academics, you know, they, they take the, their data from the Western cultures, you know, social science kind of thing, and they set it up as this was absolutely across humanity. And that's even when it flies in their faces that if they get just out of the West, go to Africa, South America, everywhere, you will have the data staring you in the face that most of the world from millennia ago, gender and biology always went together. Mm. Yeah. So 
we legislate now according to these uh, cultural ideas and we want to pass them as absolute sort of human nature. No, we're not. living in this weird bubble, aren't we? Okay, exactly. Mm. This is why every, I did social science at university. Me and my social science uh, lecturers, we used to have uh, all sorts of arguments because I'd say, but this data here is, it has uh, the undertone of the Western culture. Yeah. Then you want to impose it on the rest of the world as though that's how humans should be. Okay, so, and then it leads, therefore, to this pleasure must be, therefore, with, be enjoyed within this boundary. You cannot have love without boundary, Melissa said. Mm. You can't have, you know, you can't have justice without judge. And you can't have a purpose without creation, with creator. <laughs> so, in that sense, then we come to what culture calls love and what the Bible calls love. That's the big difference. Mm. The concept of love in the, in, the, in the Bible is very different from the concept of love in the culture. The concept of love in the culture is whatever feels good. The you chemistry. Know, the chemistry. Yeah. Whereas the biblical love is not that. The biblical love is the giving of self to the other sacrificially, irre, uh, the, um, irrespective of whatever you get. You, you, you get, you get the, I was going to give the, the, the terminology, Hebrew terminology, hava, which is to love is to give. Now, when you hear the Bible, yeah, Bible teachers trying to teach love, they go and pick up the Greek terminologies. You've got agape, you've got philio, you've got uh, heros, yeah, yeah. and you've got um, uh, storge. Those are the, the four. And so they go, you know, philio, this sort of, uh, you know, um, you know, brotherly love. You've, you've none of uh, parental filial love. And you've got the storge, which is. Um, you know, no, no, parental love is storge, filio is the brotherly love. You've got eros, which is the feeling love, and then agape, the love of God. That's all they say. He goes, what is that, the love of God? What does it mean? Mm. Everybody gets stuck there. Well, the love of God is the giving love, which gives, regardless, like the Bible said, God so loved the world, he gave. That was the painful giving. Mm. It is a game aimed not toward the pleasure of self. It's aimed toward a greater purpose. But now since there is no creator, there's no greater purpose, so I become who determines my purpose and my pleasure. So the difference is the biblical love is a sacrificial love. It gives for the greater purpose, for the unity in the divinity. That's why the love of God is. You see, the love of God is aimed at the unity in the divinity. It has to reflect God, not the benefit of self. And therefore, when he put the couples together, he says, you give each other as I gave to you. So you are sacrificial toward each other. And so if we lived in the world where this, that, this one gave, that one gave, everybody would receive. Whereas in our culture, if everybody pursued the self and what I can get, you wonder why people are hurting a lot. Even though we are into this love, 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 there are a lot of people who are right, broken right now. Mm. And so you get therefore to then that leads to procreation. So I want to say, when you look to the biblical idea, you don't come with all a variety of interaction, all ages and all numbers. Okay? If it's two, why not three? Why not four? Why not five? Why not ten? Why not twenty? The biblical concept is it's got an underlying stable structure. Mm. Why? Because God, the giver of this gift, this beautiful, pleasurable gift, gave it and said this is how it should be utilized. Now, as I'm saying this, when you get a, a car, a Mercedes or a, let's say, a, 
you know, Bentley or a Porsche and so Do you hack up if the manufacturer said, this is how you should drive this car? It's an automatic or it's a, you know, manual car. This is the type of petrol you put in if the engine is going to last. We don't really hack up if there is a manufacturer who gives you instructions. We call it manufacturer's handbook. Mm. From your TV <laughs> to your iPhone. Yeah. And there are terms and conditions mm. of the use of the item you get from the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. Do you know what our problem is? Our problem is not all this stuff. Our problem is we decided to be rebellious. We would rather be God and God be our servant. It's not that we have a problem with being instructed by the manufacturer. We get instructions from the manufacturer of microphones, you know, table mixers in the studio, the phone. The manufacturers, and we do to the letters. We even have argument. Hang on, that's not how it should be used. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Until God comes in. Mm. No, we don't want him. We want him out. All right? And because we want him out, we've replaced him with us. So the difference between the biblical view of sexuality and the cultural view of sexuality is that God is the determiner of sexuality, and the culture is we are the determiner. Mm. It's as old as the Garden of Eden. And the handbook of the manufacturer is? It's the Bible. <laughs> but you heard me say earlier on, the church has been guilty yeah. of doing a terrible job. So, mm. I mean, I don't want to sort of, if I had to take time to start teaching this on radio, because it's already a, a, sort of a, a subject, people are a bit, uh, so I do the teaching of biblical sexuality properly among couples, get them a seminar, and I'm happy to teach that so people can actually know the ins and outs. But I want mm. to say to all of you in the church, God made sexuality good. When you want to talk talking to your children about sexuality, don't start by sexual immorality. Why can you start by telling somebody the misuse of something if you've never taught them the proper use of it? Yes, exactly. Start yeah. with the proper use. Teach them what is the proper use. Don't be shy. Don't be, okay, yeah, it's age appropriate, yes, but don't let the school yes. do the, the job for you. Yeah. You're a Christian parent. Don't wait until the school pulls up their concept of, of, of sexuality and teach it to your children. Now you're starting to complain. I, I, I get parents who come and say, Pastor, what am I going to do? I'm like, yeah, well, because what do you expect? They've got to learn this. Mm. Someone's going to teach them. And you didn't teach them. Therefore, yeah. the culture is doing that job for you. Mm. So if you are interested in actually studying, I'm, I'm talking about the mechanics. I'm talking about the soul workings. Everything on the table, we talk about. I teach this. No, no problems. Mm. And so we can basically you know, let us know your expression interest put up and we will <laughs> teach that. So question being asked, question being answered, God must be the center of our world, not only in sexuality, in everything else. Otherwise, we'll be a, we have a society centered on us that will absolutely collapse once we take this roof off. Yes. Exactly. Well, that's been an absolutely fantastic two weeks, Samuel. Um, and I'm sure that a lot of people have got some questions. So if you have got some questions and you would like Samuel to uh, answer them during this time that we have each Sunday, uh, post it on his uh, Facebook page, Samuel Chizakedi. And um, if you want to look at, uh, listen to the back uh, recordings of this, um, these talks, then please go to that as well. Sign up. Oh, you don't have to sign up. I no, think it's public. Yeah. So you just open it up and, uh, and it's all good. We've had a lovely time here again today. And, uh, we just ask that the Lord would bless each and every one of you as you go about your day.